thank everybody for joining us this morning for our fourth uh, SNG Live of the week. Uh, this one, I would say, is near and dear to my heart, something that is very, very interesting to me. Uh, we're going to talk about the nexus of cybersecurity and online gaming, online gambling, and everything that casinos have to do to uh, protect their data, protect their products as more and more of uh, betting and gaming uh, moves online. So uh, joining us this morning is James Kilby, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Gambling Compliance, and uh, Gus Fritchie, VP of IC IT Security for Bulletproof IT. Uh, these two gentlemen you know, work really at the nexus of what we're talking about, so I'm really eager to get into uh, the discussion. Uh, James, well, we'll start with you. Why is cybersecurity becoming so much more of a focus for this industry? Um, thank you. Thank you very much, Greg, and um, uh, thanks to all of you for joining us here so, so early. Um, yes, well, I guess to back up, um, for those of you that don't work as, as intimately as uh, Gus and I with, within the gaming industry, what we're talking about is a very, very large uh, sector. Um, you have casinos in um, over 40 states, both commercial casinos like those in Las Vegas and tribal casinos, um, state lotteries, I think in 44 or 45 states, um, plus racetracks um, um, in, in you know, a all dozen, exactly, all over the place. So, so we're, we're talking about an extensive industry that um, has traditionally, um, if you think about it, been a um, not offering its products digitally. We are talking, uh, when, when you visit a casino, you historically associate that with betting in cash or with a paper ticket, a blackjack table, slot machine, etc. Uh, when you buy a lottery ticket, going to a physical retailer location, picking your numbers, getting your, getting your ticket, paying for it in cash. Um, the uh, spread of online gaming has been very, very limited um, up until extremely recently. Um, uh, in Europe, most countries have, have allowed and regulated online gaming. In the US, it's been much more uh, restricted. Um, New Jersey and a handful of others, Pennsylvania, which has just started, do allow online casino gaming. Um, but we've had an industry that has um, been very much a land-based retail environment. Um, and what it, why would, I guess, think talking about this subject uh, this year, this week, during Cyber Week, is um, that is now starting to change. And the primary driver of that change is the uh, legalization of sports betting. Um, the Supreme Court ruled last May that states could authorize sports betting just as they allow casinos and lotteries. And um, uh, without going into the detail, Nevada, up to that point, for all intents and purposes, was the only state that was allowed to have sports betting. And um, the Supreme Court found that that prohibition outside Nevada to be to be unconstitutional. Um, since that time, you've had over a dozen states, a, a dozen states have joined Nevada in allowing sports betting, and um, there's at least five more that have passed laws, just not up and running yet, and including where we are today, the District of Columbia. Um, and what states are doing is they're legalizing sports betting. They're not just allowing sports betting within that retail environment of the sports book within a casino that you would historically associate in Las Vegas. They are, they are allowing, allowing for that, but they're also allowing for sports betting via mobile and via the, uh, via the internet. 
Um, so that can be seen really as a tipping point for how the gaming industry moves from being what has historically been a land-based retail environment to much more of an online uh, e-commerce-based um, omni-channel, as it were, uh, industry. Um, I think you have eight states today that are offering, offering online and mobile betting, and that's in just less than 18 months since the Supreme Court ruling, where you've had half that number up until now without that restriction of the federal law allowing online casino. And by this time next year, that will be a, a, at least a dozen, if not several more. Um, so that's what we're, what we're seeing, is a, a very, very large industry that's $75 billion plus industry that is moving to an online environment. Um, and with that comes the great, a great emphasis on, on how do you protect your operations in that digital environment, with cybersecurity being a major component of that. I guess I would just like to, having said all of that, back up that this is a, um, even though the gaming industry has been a land-based retail industry, it, sports betting and the expansion of online gaming doesn't, it's not year zero for cybersecurity. Okay. Casinos are already collecting vast amounts of data on their customers, whether that's through loyalty programs that were requiring registration and collection of personal data as part of that. Um, lotteries, to a lesser extent, have, have done, done similar, <coughs> similar things. Um, you know, casinos are connected to accompanying hotel, convention, entertainment spaces, you know, booking tickets, booking rooms as part of the casino system. Um, so I think there's al you've already had an industry that's collecting a vast amount of data on its customers for various reasons. Um, so that's why we have pre-existing cybersecurity uh, okay. issues, but why, what we're now seeing is a tipping point where um, of an industry that is preparing to off offer gambling directly right. to consumers for online. So has the focus always been on data protection and, you know, you see just the rush that we've seen since sports betting has been made legal uh, across the country and whether it is, you know, gambling or anything that has sort of a startup feel, we see people rushing technology into it and uh, cybersecurity tends to fall behind because cybersecurity is a slower field and, and can sometimes get in the way of profits, I, I guess, or just the business overall. So where does the focus lie with this newfound uh, legalization in uh, sports betting, particularly the online version of it? Yeah, a absolutely. I think that we are seeing a, a trend toward the operators recognizing the importance of, of cybersecurity when it comes into gaming, especially with the, you know, the rush to market with sports betting. Um, you know, a little bit of background about myself. You know, I got into the field in cybersecurity in 1999 and, uh, you know, started in 2003, like maybe some of you started playing a lot of online poker on the offshore site. So it's not like, you know, all of a sudden this is new. There's always been online gambling. It it's just hasn't been regulated uh, until more recently. Um, and, uh, you know, my experience with performing research into those online operators back in that time frame showed that there were basic security mistakes that should not be being that, that should not have happened, um, and, and that led me to you know transition a portion of my practice 
uh, into the gaming sector, you know, in 2011. And uh, recently this year, we were acquired by Gaming Labs International, who is a huge testing lab, who's uh, the world's largest uh, for, for certification and compliance uh, related uh, to gaming. Um, and uh, many of, they actually realize the importance and a lot of the operators have started recognizing the importance and we're just seeing a huge, you know, a, a huge rush uh, to implement these security controls. And yes, a lot of it is driven by compliance, uh, like many aspects when it comes to information security. Sometimes, you know, if compliance was not required, we wouldn't see the organizations or companies making the required investments into IT security. That said, there's plenty of operators that we work with that go above and beyond what the regulators are requiring because they understand that the risk, uh, if, uh, if we have a, another you know, uh, ultimate bet, absolute poker scandal in a regulated environment, it's going to tarnish the industry. So they want to make sure that those security controls are put into place. So we'll talk about the compliance piece uh, in a little bit, but I want to go back to you were saying a lot of these operators had basic security flaws, uh, which, I mean, you could talk about any industry, and that's what happens. You start to put stuff online, and it becomes a target. So what are some of the examples of security breaches that have impacted uh, this this area uh, of industry, whether it's from uh, a data protection side of things, or even I know that integrity of the games is a big thing for these companies. No, absolutely. I mean, integrity of gaming is, is of the utmost importance. W without that, we don't have the, the customer confidence and uh, you know, no one's going to want to you know, play uh, these games. So I think you know, even though it's an old example, uh, I still like to go back to it. Um, so uh, by show of hands, how many people did play like online poker in 2003 to 2011? Anybody? We got, so we, okay. <laughs> we got a handful of people here who, uh, who, dabbled, uh, who dabbled in it. But perhaps you know, the, the best example I can think of is the, what I referenced earlier uh, and was actually the subject of, uh, uh, of my DEF CON talk or a, a portion of it back in 2011 was the ultimate bet absolute poker uh, super user scandal. So uh, just a little bit of history, you know, everyone's probably familiar with the names Poker Stars, Full Tilt Poker. There was also Ultimate Bet as, you know, probably the top three in the, in the U.S. market, along with Bodog, if you want to go there, uh, at that time. And, uh, uh, you know, basically what happened, they were licensed by, and this goes back to the importance of having strong regulators to enforce compliance, you know, uh, in that time frame, you know, you didn't have the states or, uh, you know, Nevada, you know, Gaming Control Board, you know, regulating these uh, offshore sites. You had, you know, a regulator in Costa Rica or in the case of Ultimate Bet, the Kahnawake uh, Gaming Commission in, in Canada, who really ha had no expertise with gaming or expertise with security, no real requirements. They were just collecting money so they could say that the, these sites were licensed. Um, so what happened in, in this particular case was the, the site was founded by Russ Hamilton, who was a former World Series of Poker uh, champion, uh, you know, from the tournaments that you see on ESPN. Uh, this was prior to that being, uh, you know, uh, on TV. In any event, he convinced uh, one of the programmers that they needed to install uh, software uh, that would allow him to see players' whole cards because under the premise that he suspected cheating was occurring, that he needed as a world champion poker player would be able to detect this cheating. So this code got added into the uh, software 
and uh, proceeded to you know, defraud uh, or steal money approximately, you know, 40 plus whatever you want, million dollars uh, from players. And it wasn't until, you know, the regulator didn't catch this. It was a community of poker players uh, online on 2 plus 2 who started realizing that people were winning with an unusually high win rate. Uh, and they were able to do the analysis and discover that this statistically is impossible to have that high of a win rate. And, you know, this is a, uh, a flaw that would have got caught most likely in a regulated environment if there was certification of a software, code reviews going on to examine uh, the software for malicious code, backdoors, uh, et cetera. Um, and uh, you know, being that this was happening in an unregulated, unregulated period of time, there's really no financial cons consequence or legal consequence to Russ Hamilton. They did pay back the players, but the, you know, the, the information I have is it was far less than the, than the amount uh, that was owed. And I think that just shows why the importance of what some of the regulators are requiring now with the security testing is of the utmost importance. If the, you know, if the game is not fair, if uh, you can never win at blackjack because you know, the operator has uh, implemented some type of code to you know, reduce the odds to what the, uh, you know, what's supposed to be, you know, it's going to be a stain on the industry. Same thing if we had another one of these uh, cheating scandals. So that, that's why I'm glad to see some of the regulators, and we'll give some examples, I think, in a little bit when we go to talk about you know, what the regulators are doing from a compliance perspective. You know, I think there, there are certain states that uh, are making sure that this does not uh, occur again, and it's firms like mine who actually perform these security assessments of the software, the applications, perform penetration testing, security architecture reviews to make sure that the, uh, that, that the software is secure and we protect the integrity of gaming. So let's get into the compliance and the regulation part. James, how active have gaming regulators been from you know, uh, a cybersecurity and a data privacy perspective? What is their role here as this continues to grow? Um, I think they have been increasingly active. Um, that's the short, short answer and we can point to a couple of examples of that, but the most obvious one being New Jersey which has been, um, you know, the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement regulates the land-based casinos in Atlantic City, not as big as Las Vegas, but a very, very large gaming market. Um, and it regulates the largest online and sports betting and internet gaming market. So, um, you know, it's had both of those operations up and running. So it makes sense that New Jersey is the um, kind of center, center stage on, on this issue. Um, what are the kind of things that regulators are doing? Um, as Gus alluded to, um, requiring via regulation an annual security assessment um, that may have been best practice for some operators and larger companies perform that as routine, but one power that a regulator has is to mandate it. Um, it's a, uh, yeah, you can be fined, risk your licensing standing if you don't perform it. Um, so it's something that ensures um, is a requirement for operators to happen. New Jersey is requiring uh, those kind of assessments to be performed for all internet mobile operations, but also for the land-based casinos in New Jersey. So um, those casinos have to assess their operations on an annual basis, uh, be audited, reviewed by an independent um, and legitimate uh, company that can perform that assessment and submit the findings and remedial actions to the regulator to show that they're addressing any vulnerabilities that are 
there. So the one thing that regulators do have is the power to impose those kind of standards on on the companies. Um, we're seeing that in New Jersey, and as sports betting is spreading and being regulated state to state, that seems to be the uh, becoming the sort of nationwide standard. You know, Indiana, Pennsylvania, here in DC, it's gonna be similar things. Annual annual assessments is is uh, that are required by regulation is is what what um what we're seeing. Um, the other area I think that regulators are, are having an influence is to um, elevate the position of an information security officer within the organization of the gaming operator. Um, and kind of backing this up and thinking about how and why gaming has traditionally been regulated. Regulators, you know, going back to the 80s or you know, 90s, this is a very heavily regulated industry. You have to be licensed, and if you want to be licensed, uh, you're going to be uh, poured over the coals uh, with decades of bank history, criminal background reviews. Um, it is not a the barriers to entry to participate, at least as an operator and as a you know in the gaming industry, are very high. Regulators have required that, I guess, for a couple of reasons. One is to um, Ensure that organized crime does not infiltrate the industry. I was going to say, yeah, that, going that, back past the '80s, I mean, we could point. Just go turn on casino, and we can find find out really that the history of, no, of that, how that, this has come know, to be heavily uh, regulated. Casino is partly based on a true story, frankly. Um, so uh, that reason, uh, they want to make sure that the state is getting its tax revenue, and there's no skimming of that going on. Um, and they wanted to make sure that the games are, are fair. You know, patrons are not getting they're getting a fair hand of blackjack. And to the extent that the house always wins, at least it's in accordance with what the edge of the house is and you know, people, there's no collusion, there's no cheating and people aren't doing that. So these are the things that regulators have traditionally required and as part of that they have kind of put on a pedestal the roles of certain, uh, certain executives within gaming companies. So if you want to be the head of security, head of audit, um, and those kind of roles that specifically meet those mandates and, and performing background reviews of senior executives to you know, check they're not the cousin of, uh, you know, uh, of a mobster, that kind of, uh, that kind of thing, that, that, you know, this historic where they've come from. But what we're starting to see is information security is being brought up to that, that kind of level of a head of audit, head of security. And New Jersey is, um, was the first state that uh, was again required by regulation for an in, uh, information security officer to be a licensed role uh, and have sort of delegation of duties from the head of IT generally who may have a conflicted uh, position where you know, on the one hand yes you, you may want to you know, need to make sure that systems are secure and everything else but at the end of the day you need to have uh, responsibility for procuring the best technology that is you know, runs profitable operations and makes games fun and easy to play. Um, so that's what we're, the two things we're seeing is um, requiring of annual assessments and elevating position of information security officers who have specific responsibilities to put in place policies, make sure things are followed through when it comes to cyber security. I just wanted to piggyback on that comment, and, and when you think about it, it makes sense that New Jersey was at the forefront because, uh, as James mentioned, with the land-based casinos, but then while they weren't the first to, to launch internet gaming, Nevada was, but that was only online poker in, in a much smaller 
uh, population size, you know, the, the world was watching when New Jersey launched and they wanted to make sure that there was no, you know, mistakes made from a geolocation perspective, you know, only, you know, people who were in the state could, uh, could play online and they want to make sure they got that right. They want to make sure that KYC, even though your customer uh, checks uh, were appropriate, that the payments uh, were done correctly. So, <clears throat> you know, I've been very impressed with what I've seen from the New, New Jersey uh, uh, DGE. I probably work the most closely with them. And what they've also done, to, to James's point, I mean, you can't have regulators who don't understand security you know, writing these regulations and then, you know, reviewing the test reports that, you know, we end up submitting. So what I've been very pleased to see is that the DG has, has hired, you know, people with cybersecurity skills background in order to make sure they understand that. And I would think that, and from my experience, we can't say that about every state. I think some states are falling behind uh, where New Jersey is when you look at some of the more recent uh, states that have launched uh, sports betting or, or internet gaming, um, you know, I don't think they quite necessarily have the capability and expertise to, you know, write these guidelines, you know, do the enforcement, and we see them borrowing a lot of what New Jersey uh, has had. But that's probably something that, you know, I think I would like to see in the industry, make sure that the regulators have the necessary skill sets in order to understand what the operators are doing, but then also work with us as the independent test labs to, to make sure that the correct level of testing uh, is being performed. I guess I'd just sort of, um, I don't think we'd overemphasize the point that um, Gus mentioned it earlier. Cybersecurity is not all about you know, complying with the letter of the law regulation. And I think um, you know, what you, you know, companies, I think it, I, I'm interested in your view on this uh, also, Gus, but you know, if one state like New Jersey sets a high bar, typically the way that, you know, something like sports betting is going, you're not, you're not talking about um, hundreds and hundreds of different companies operating differently in different states. These are, you know, multinational brands that are gonna spread across the, the country. So I think that once once one regulator sets a high bar, I don't imagine that companies are, oh, well, we'll comply with this in New Jersey, but we'll do the minimum in another state. So typically that uh, standard can then get spread across an, op uh, an operation, and um, whether it's on this issue, responsible gaming or other areas, often um, operators will take kind of the highest standards and spread that throughout their organization in multiple states even if the actual like laws or regulations in some of the states might not specifically require that they meet the standard of another so it's um i think that's where the influence of having one influential regulator imposing a high high standard can have impact even beyond you know beyond that specific state's market you know when you talk about these standards we in cybersecurity overall, we hear a lot about the risk cybersecurity framework. And I'm wondering, Gus, from your perspective, whether you see these multinationals following the risk framework and applying it to what they do in, in a gaming sense. And if, as you go through the security assessments and you see if they're following that, um, you know, what other security mistakes do you see made or have you seen made that, you know, as, you know, moving online, uh, again, it's, not everybody's thinking about this stuff as they transition from what has been traditionally land-based to online-based. No, good, good, good question. I'll answer the, both those parts. First, with the piece of uh, 
you know, do I see the regulators, you know, requiring some type of comp uh, compliance benchmark like the NIST cybersecurity framework? I would say no. Um, a lot of the, you know, uh, initial guidance, uh, and even in New Jersey, it started off very broad. You had to have a security assessment. It was left open for interpretation of what that was. Some people thought that, you know, was just a Nessa scan against the, you know, the, the the application, which you know, as many of us know, isn't going to tell us anything. Um, but it's it's gradually become more detailed. Whereas in each year, the DG releases specific testing guidelines on what needs to be uh, assessed from the IT security perspective. But I, I can't think off the top of my head of any one particular state uh, or regulator that has something uh, as you know strict as, as NIST with specific security and controls, not just technical, but operational managerial. You know, that said, uh, you know, GLI has a publication, GLI 33, uh, which uh, outlines controls over uh, security uh, sports betting, and uh, there's an Appendix B in there, which defines specific security controls, which aren't just technical of nature, also those operational management controls. So uh, in Indiana, uh, for uh, organizations that uh, you know, are going live with sports betting, they have to comply with GLI 33, which so that would incorporate some of that NIST cybersecurity framework aspects. Um, but in, to, to your second question, when it comes to what security mistakes do we see, uh, do I see, you know, operators making? And it should come as no surprise, it's really no different than any other vertical or sector. You know, gaming, and I got into this saying that security is security, you know, it really doesn't matter the, you know, if it's online gambling, if it's finance, if it's, you know, uh, government, uh, you need to have specific security controls in place. Yes, gaming has some unique aspects to it, just as every vertical does, that you have to tailor security controls to. But I would say if I was to list the top three mistakes that we see on these types of assessments that we do, and, you know, not speaking just to iGaming, but also to land-based casinos. Uh, you know, I think when I first got into this field in 2011, you know, we all seen the movies, you all think about the, the, the security of casinos, all the physical, the cameras, the guards. I was like, wow, these guys have to have a lot of security in place. No, I mean, uh, just as I think you brought up the point, Greg, when you first started. I mean, security, just as in other sectors, is difficult to justify the ROI on that. You can justify the ROI on you know, implementing some new slot floor optimization software that will help, you know, drive revenue uh, from your patrons, but it's more difficult to get, you know, budget for uh, security controls. So the top three mistakes I see are, you know, basic cyber hygiene issues. So just, uh, you know, basic mistakes, nothing that's going to lead to a direct compromise of a system or, you know, gaming integrity, but just, you know, little tiny mistakes, you know, unnecessary ports and protocols that are running on the server, servers not being hardened or configured to a specific STIG or benchmark, um, you know, default SNMP community strings, these little things that, you know, while they seem small, you know, a bunch of lows can be combined and can be used to, you know, gain access to a system. So these basic mistakes, uh, you know, see, and some of that can come to this rush to market, you know, another is just lack of staff and skill. Um, so that's one. <clears throat> Second, no surprise, patching and vulnerability management. You know, everyone thinks, hey, it should be easy to patch systems. You know, but often in gaming, it's not, just as some other verticals. A lot of this software, the casinos would like to patch it, 
but the vendor says, no, 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 you can't patch that because if you patch that, that version of Java is not going, you know, it does, isn't supported with our application. So you need to leave that older vulnerable version of Java running on your system. So we, we end up running, seeing a lot of that, you know, patching mistakes and that relates to overall vulnerability management and risk management. You know, how, a lot of these organizations now are doing their own, you know, vulnerability scans and security testing. It wasn't like that, you know, when I first got into the gaming sector, people weren't even running security scans themselves, which is, is hard to believe. But at least now they're running them. The problem they're running into is how to deal with all this data and how to prioritize risk. Uh, you know, I, I have huge companies that are tracking this on spreadsheets. You know, yeah, that scales well for one casino property or for one operator, but you know, try doing that for you know, 25 very properties where you have to manage uh, risk. It, it doesn't scale very well. So I'd like to see you know, companies moving toward tools like RiskSense or Kenda Security to, assess, to assist in this vulnerability management. And the last uh, mistake I see, and this relates more toward the application layer, is just you know, mistakes in the SCLC process. Um, you know, there's not, they're not building security into the, into the software development lifecycle. Um, you know, there's a rush to get this software out and, and often mistakes are being made and that's why it's, and, and unfortunately, as I think everybody knows, it's more costly for them to go back and do it after the fact when an independent assessor comes in like us and reviews the application uh, and then they have to go back and, and fix some you know, cross-site scripting or SQL injection vulnerabilities. Uh, you know, it'd be better if they were doing that throughout the SCLC process. But I think a lot of these large manufacturers, I know for a fact, some of the world's largest gaming manufacturers, they're not even doing static code analysis on their uh, on their applications, on their key critical applications that they're uh, producing. Um, you know, and some are just now doing uh, dynamic, you know, web application scans. So I think there's, you know, a lot of room for improvement at the gaming manufacturer level. So those are some of the mistakes that I see. Uh, I'm wondering how, really from a land base perspective, you go inside a, a, a casino, there are so many interconnected systems. Uh, you have, you know, if there's video poker, video slot machines, if it's a big enough casino you're talking about, point of sale systems, hospitality systems, security systems, and then all the HR and other IT systems that you know aren't really consumer facing but are still running on the, the same network. Have you seen a lot of moves towards security segmentation or, or how does that look? Because you know, as we talk about all of these different devices inside the land-based things, I, I'm having trouble finding uh, a clear equal in any other sort of industry, uh, there's just so many interconnected systems inside a casino, I'm wondering. No, yeah, good, good question, and yeah, segmentation is, is the answer to those uh, concerns. You know, very, by, by regulation, the, uh, most regulations, you know, the gaming floor itself should be segmented from the, from the corporate casino network. There really should be limited connectivity between those two networks, but you know, as part of our land-based assessments, you know, we typically perform those from the perspective of a user on the corporate casino network because that's the most likely way that an attacker is going to gain access through some type of client-side attack and they're going to land on the corporate casino network. And then we want to make sure that the protections are in place to segment and they can't make their way down to, say, the slot machine. You know, a lot of slot machines, they're all IP-based, there's controllers in them. Um, but we have seen mistakes where we have been able to get, to get down to the, the slot machine. And once again, a lot of this points back to the vendors. You know, when I brought this up to the casino, they're like, oh, well, we didn't even know that. And uh, it turns out that, you know, we shot off an email to the vendor who implemented it, and they're like, no, it shouldn't be that way. 
Um, so uh, that's why these required security checks are, are, are a good thing. Um, I think there could be more segmentation. You know, I think that's good for any industry. So <clears throat> if we can prevent you know, lateral movement when an adversary is inside our network, you know, it's going to limit the damage or impact that they can do. So if, if we can get down to the micro-segmentation level piece, you know, and this goes for any industry, there, there's no reason that a workstation on human resources should be able to talk to a workstation on the accounting team, for example. So we are seeing more of that, but it's not as, uh, as good as it could be. And I think, uh, Gus, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong on this, but to the extent that you've uh, seen um, reported data breaches and that land-based casinos have, have suffered, I, I do get the sense that the penetration point is, you know, is, is uh, one of the adjoining systems. So the, uh, the casino in Las Vegas that suffered a data breach and it, it didn't come from the slot machine floor, it was through the hotel booking system. And um, I believe there's a, I think it was a tribal casino in Michigan. The breach was at the, uh, uh, the fish tank Right. In the, yeah, um, everyone uh, like, everyone uh, likes the, the point. Infamous, that's, the infamous exactly fish right. tank. Right. Yeah, that's, um, you know, to yeah. control the temperature was connected to the internet, and then that was the point in to you know, gain customer data from the casino. So I think that's um, um, going back to the point of of, of the regulators. Um, the role of a gaming regulator is to regulate the gaming. That's a very. Uh, <laughs> One of the most intelligent things I will ever say in my uh, in my <laughs> life. There, but um, yeah, they don't regulate the hotel system. They certainly don't regulate fish tanks. Yeah. Uh, and their primary responsibility is is to ensure that slot machines are not penetrated. But I think that's what creates a complication for bigger casino companies. Is they um, they're a gaming operation that's plugged into hotels, to concert venues, to other things. So there's multiple points of entry that is um, um, you know, not directly regulated in the same way as the, as the slot machine. No, I, absolutely. That's a, that's a very good point. And, you know, we, I don't think we've seen as many, you know, cyber breaches in, in gaming. Uh, at least they don't make it out there into the news. You know, I didn't know because obviously the customers, it's in their interest to keep it as, as quiet as possible unless there's some, you know, uh, breach notification laws that they have to report or now with uh, GDPR or some of the, you know, California breach uh, notification laws, it, you know, it's becoming, you know, more difficult for them to keep it quiet. But, you know, when you look at the, you know, probably the largest casino gaming hack with Las Vegas Sands, um, if you recall, and I, I wasn't going to talk about that, so I didn't. I forget the exact date, but it may be 2015, 14 uh, time frame. I'm not sure if you know, James. So it, was, it was a couple of years ago, around yeah, about that time frame. Exactly, yeah. but they, th that breach occurred via the, um, the property in Sands Bethlehem in Pennsylvania, and then from there, you know, they were able to uh, get act and they got access via a development server that was exposed to the internet, and from there they were able to pivot throughout the network and get all the way to the, um, you know, I mean, they made it to their mainframe uh, based on discussions I had. They're not a client, client of mine. I've never done any work with Las Vegas Sands, but I spoke to people uh, there, and, uh, you know, they really caused a, a large amount of damage. They just started, you know, 
uh, encrypting people's hard drives, and you know, the, their, I know their player reward system was down for a period of months. So yeah, absolutely, that's something that the regulators, you know, like as you said, they're more concerned with you know focusing on game protection. But that's why we see some of these regulations coming now that are requiring these annual security assessments to be done. And you know, it probably still needs to be more, and more needs to be put back on the operators to do. You know, the, the operators need to bear some of this responsibility to protect themselves and to protect the players. So, switching gears uh, a little bit to the you know the technological advances that we see in uh, online betting, we're we're seeing you know these uh, apps come online and, and be legal uh, across the U.S. But uh, a lot of them have uh, you know the capability to have uh, real time betting. And for anybody that's not familiar, you can literally bet on plays outcomes while the game is um, being played. So uh, it's almost, and with the money that is moving through there, it's almost like a financial brokerage, I, I feel like. So what are the security challenges with uh, facing that from uh, you know, an AppSec perspective and the money that can you know, just move through in real time? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, in-game betting is, is, is very popular, especially in Europe, um, and uh, becoming more popular here in the States. And it does introduce, I don't know if it introduces any new security concerns from an application security perspective because the game functionality is still working the same way. You're still placing bets. You know, if there was a, a vulnerability that could be exploited in game where you could, you know, intercept and modify a plus three to a plus 13, you know, obviously that's that would be bad from an operator perspective. Um, uh, and that's something we check for, you know, for, as our basic application security checks. But I think, you know, when it in-game betting, you know, and this applies to also just normal gaming, you know, uh, denial of service attacks are always a concern. You know, New Jersey, you know, when they first went live, uh, I think a couple months after in the summer, they ended up having some uh, distributed denial of service attacks against uh, multiple operators. I had a customer just uh, uh, last year that ended up having a uh, denial of service attack where they uh, sent them, uh, you know, a note saying that unless they paid, you know, X amount of dollars, they were going to keep on doing it. Um, so, I mean, that would be a concern with uh, in-game betting if you were, you know, if someone wanted to disrupt operations. I mean, and there's always going to be new technolo technological advances. <clears throat> when we look at, you know, where online gaming was, you know, when it was unregulated from 2003 time period 2011, there really was no mobile gaming, right? It was all, you would fire up your computer, you know, you'd have a desktop app on there and uh, you'd uh, play play the game. And now, of course, we have, you know, mobile. Uh, you know, I don't have the exact figures, maybe someone else does, but, you know, mobile gaming, especially in Europe, I mean, most of the bets and wagers are placed on, on mobile. So you have these new technologies that are being utilized and uh, what we're seeing is software developers making the same mistakes they made five, seven years ago on traditional web applications, but now they're making them on mobile applications. Um, so it, it's, you know, a lot of people think that we'll rely on the phone itself to protect the app, but you don't think about, okay, we can root our phone, we can reverse engineer the, the, the binary um, and uh, potentially uh, impact uh, the integrity of gaming. So yeah, I think, you know, as technology increases uh, and changes, um, there's always gonna be new security challenges and that's why, you know, the regulators need to, need to remain flexible to you know 
support this new innovation. I know the DG is very good about that. They want to see new games, new technology come out because you know that's what keeps the interest of uh, of the players. But at the same time, they want to make sure that these games are offered uh, in a fair and uh, and secure manner. Great. Anything to add there, um, James? No, I think just uh, with in-game betting, I, I would just echo that. I don't necessarily see that there's any elevated cybersecurity risk other than the fact that the transaction volume is is significantly increased. But um, uh, and and the point I, I, I totally agree. Denial of of service is uh, that feels like the um, the main um, main specific area. And um, if you think about it, if you um, uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Um, there is a need on the part of an operator to be able to accept bets during Super Bowl Sunday, during the you know, in, on an in-game basis during that. And I think that you know, that, yeah, Bovada that, had a DDoS attack on the Super Bowl. I feel like that would be just an ultimate. That that's like the worst case scenario. Well, for they, yeah, uh, no, that's it. And and we've we've seen that to some extent. I think in in European markets, I, I, I know that leading online betting operators there are. Uh, subject to more, um, they're on high alert during the World Cup, as an example, for, for denial of service attacks because it's so important to the business from a, you have to be able to offer that uh, in-game betting during the marquee events like the World Cup, like Super Bowl here. And it's so important to the brand and the business from a customer acquisition and retention point of view to be available for sports betting during the right times. Um, casino's a little bit different, you mean you obviously, you know, if it's raining, if it's a Sunday evening for poker, events are bigger, they're more important times of year, but sports betting is so, as a product offering, is event driven by the sporting calendar. And um, I do think that that, that gives a, um, yeah, uh, there's, there's, there's a sweet spot of, of timing of attacks from a, from a denial of service point of view. And I think that's something we've seen in Europe and I'm no doubt operators here will be yeah, uh, wary of as this as it as this really expands. Yeah, and and to that point about denial of service, I mean, we don't test for uh, when we do our required security testing. That's usually not part of a scope is to to verify their controls in place to protect against uh, denial of service attacks. But it is something in New Jersey that the that the regulators require the operators to submit. There's a whole laundry list of items that are required by the operators to be submitted to the DG so they can you know, make some determination if the required security controls are in place. Like, you know, are you running a WAF on, your, on the application? You know, do, what type of you know, denial of service protection mechanisms do you have in place? So that is something that is evaluated by the regulators to, to make sure that they have those, uh, those controls in place. Okay, we can open it up for questioning now. Um, so, I work with the CEOs and the CTOs, um, typically to help them figure out what their budget is, and in credit unions, um, which is a field I have some expertise in, um, a $500 million credit union assets has about $20 million in revenue, take about 11% of that as their IT budget, take a third of that, maybe a sixth of that, that's their cybersecurity spend. Today, I wouldn't bank with a credit union under $500 million, so you just don't have the resources. Is there a size limit, um, a size threshold that you have to get to before um, you would gamble with an online casino? So to your point on budget, first of all, I mean, I think in, from my experience in gaming organizations, IT security budget, you know, varies 
widely um, for, for various various reasons. Um, yeah, so it, it's hard to, to give a specific number on, on, on that piece, um, like the field that you have experience with. I mean, I would feel personally comfortable at any site that is in a regulated environment, I feel safe with. You know, I, I played, you know, I go back to the ultimate bet, absolute poker, yeah, I played on there, and uh, you know when uh, Black Friday happened uh, in 2011, and uh, I, I lost a sizable sum of money uh, when they shut down because they could not pay back the the players. And yes, I eventually got the money back. Thank you, DOJ, for <laughs> finding the money from Poker Stars to to pay me back. But uh, and that's the advantage that you have in a in a regulated environment. Like there's example in in New Jersey, uh, Ultimate. Ultimate Poker, uh, not probably the best choice of names after the, since Ultimate Bet, but Ultimate Poker was one of the first sites to launch in New Jersey, and they, you know, ended up deciding to, you know, close close shop. But it was in an orderly fashion, and all the players ended up getting their their funds back. Um, so uh, any any site in the U.S. that's regulated, I feel is safe to play on. Obviously, you have. The brand names, DraftKings, FanDuel, that we've all heard of, MGM, you know, uh, you, you know. But there's also smaller niche brands, you know. Uh, PointsBet comes to mind uh, as uh, very uh, respectable uh, sites uh, that uh, that I would feel very comfortable loading money on and and placing wagers. Uh, the other, I guess, point around that is um, I'm, I'm not, frankly, I'm not entirely sure how this differs from the credit union well but um, if an operator itself as a you know, casino could be a small uh, small brand name limited to one state with a relatively small amount of revenue um, the technology providers and those that provide the platform behind it that's a reasonably well consolidated market um, so you know this is um, the technology and the platform and the security that goes behind the operation, it tends to be coming from one of five, six, ten providers, all of which have, have scale and, and because their business is to offer their platform across the market and this is an expanding market, it behooves them to have invested appropriately in you know the security of their system. They'll have been tested by a GLI or someone else. So this is... Um, um, this is frankly the uh, need for scale is is less about having the budget. Oh, it, it partly about having the budget for for compliance generally, including on security. This means that the actual sort of operation behind the platform behind it tends to have already been in a consolidated market, and you don't really end up with niche players that are trying to operate things like cybersecurity in house. At least when it comes to online online gambling. Any other questions? Just, just one. Um, so, what about the offshore guys? What about the bet, Chris? Is the five dimes, pinnacles, all those guys who are looking to come onshore now? That and didn't have New Jersey Department of Government Enforcement is probably considering what they're going to do about them. Whether there's a quarantine, whether it's a quarantine at the moment. But what threat do they pose? Given that they use agent super agent systems to place bets um obviously they were the major players here in the us They're not going away they're going to look to get regulated what threats do you think they have 
and challenges other than trying to improve gravity. And second question, and you're talking about supply chain, you're talking about platforms, you're talking about SB tech, you're talking about platforms that operate in grey, potentially black markets that have had huge data leaks. I think the SB tech one was massively publicised actually. Um, what threats and how aware do you think regulators are in this country of the granularity and the detail? Because the UK Gambling Commission is just starting to get to grips with it, of that, the complexity of those threats. Good, good question. Uh, I guess for your first one, I think those, those sites who are currently offering uh, U.S. players who are offshore and offering games to them are going to have difficulty getting into the, the U.S. market. New Jersey is actively going against uh, and going after those sites that are, are offering uh, games to, to, to their players and customers. So, I mean, in, you know, in several states, you had this whole you know, bad actor clause that was in a lot of the regulations um, to try to keep out those sites that were offering uh, gaming against U.S. regulations at the time with the UIEGA. Um, uh, so I, I think they're going to have difficulty. I'm not an expert on that matter. Uh, to your second question, how aware are regulators of some of these you know, platform providers? You mentioned SB Tech, you know, several others out there. Um, you know, and they are in the U.S. market, right? So uh, SB Tech's you know, powering the, the Oregon Lottery uh, sports betting platform. They're in New Jersey. Um, so, uh, I, <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I think that you know, and I can't speak for every regulator, but I, I know New Jersey does a, a very good job in in vetting and the you know the operators that they allow in, as as you were mentioning, this licensing process that that they go through. Um, is fairly stringent. Uh, so I'm, once again, I'm not an expert on the, the compliance or regulatory side of things. I'm more focused on the IT security aspects. Um, so I don't think I have a, a great answer, just you know, what my belief is that you know, if a site is being approved by one of these you know, regulated bodies in the US, you know, uh, have to assume they've done some form of their, uh, of their due diligence. And you know, obviously, they're going to be required to Implement the, the security controls to the to the level that the that the state mandates. Great, James, Gus, thank you very much. It was a very very interesting panel, uh, and thank you all uh, for uh, attending our SNG Live series this week. Hope you're enjoying your Cyber Week, and if you can join us for Cyber Talks tomorrow, look forward to having uh, you all there. Thank you very much. Thank you.